Luke 19. We're going to start in verses 28 and go all the way to 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a coat tied, on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray this morning. Father, let that not be said of us. For God, you are a king worthy to be praised this morning. And so God, as we have entered into a time of worship already, God, allow our hearts to continue as we dive into your word this morning. God, as uh, the, the ones that have been affected by this storm, God, by the tornadoes in the, in the past week, God, may you be with them, God, right now. God, may you surround them. May you love on them. God, may the church come together and God, do a mighty work and bring glory and honor in your name and all that we do. Father, we, we thank you, Father. God, we thank you for the, the ones that, the, that, that were able to, God, salvage anything, Father. God, we pray now for the word. God, as we uh, dive into it, God, as we are here and ready to receive what you have for us this morning. God, may it go with us. Father, we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Thank you, church family. You can be seated. Now, I'm not going to draw, because if, if I wrote out any amount of words without spell check, as my friend, y'all would all make fun of me, because... My, I, we, we got some big words to spell today, so I'm just going to read them to you. How about that? Um, we're not going to have a TV because I, I, can't, I can't sit here and, and talk to you about that. I love the way that our pastor preaches, and I wish so bad that I had that uh, ability to do that. Uh, but I don't. Maybe one day. Maybe, maybe one day. But, um, but as I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but think about the time that I almost ruined summer camp. Let me, let me explain. It was a beautiful Saturday, and I was, I was cutting the grass, getting everything ready uh, for the week ahead. That way I could focus next week completely on, on youth camp. Uh, and so I had uh, made a reservation for two 15-passenger vans several months in advance. I was on top of things, right? And uh, it was, I knew that I could pick them up on Saturday. So, however, I did not pay attention to the time in which I could pick them up. I thought for some reason that they were going to stay open until 5 o'clock that day, just like they do the rest of the weekend, right? The rest, rest of the week. And so I just, you know what, I'll just get everything ready and I'll go down there 
around 1 o'clock and, and pick them up. No big deal. Um, well, I happened to check the time, and it was, it was 12.30 around this time when I checked it, and, and all of a sudden my heart sank because it said 12. They closed on Saturday at 12 o'clock. I panicked. Like, I, I, I'm almost certain all the color ran in my face. I ran across the street. My, my uh, wife was over at uh, our in-law's house, and uh, they were hanging out. I said, babe, I even, like, yelled, Jeff, I need you. We got to go. We, we got to go pick these vans up. I got to figure something out. And uh, so we hopped in the truck. We were able to get uh, to, to go down there. But I just, I panicked because I thought, I thought, I, I'm, I, here I am. This is my first summer camp, and I have ruined it. I have messed it up. Like, I have ruined camp. We're, we're not going to have enough transportation, and Cody is going to hang this over my head for a while, right? I was really, uh, in all honesty, I was really worried about what Cody would say and, and, and uh, what Cody would, would, the little jabs that he would, he would take throughout the week. Uh, and I didn't want to be known as the youth pastor that messed up youth camp. All right, so, so what did I do? And I know he's, he's watching right now. He's watching later on today. But uh, I called my good friend Matt Covey. Uh, Matt Covey used to go here. Uh, he is now the youth pastor out at uh, East Aboga. And so, uh, but he was working at Enterprise at the time. And so he, he was on vacation, actually. Let me, let, me, let me back up and say that. He was on vacation. He was actually in the water. Like, I called him and I called his wife and I said, I need Matt Covey, like, right now. Like, I need him to come help me. Like, I have messed something up. So Jessica called him out of the water. He uh, pulled some strings and got one of his guys to meet me, like, after hours at Enterprise. Like, it's crazy, right? We, and I was able to rent a couple vehicles. <laughs> they weren't 15-passenger vans, uh, but they, they happened to be a, um, like, a Ford Explorer and an old Dodge van. I'm like, well, we got, we got vans. We got vans. We're good. We're good. But, but Matt saved my tail that year, and I am forever in his debt. I really am. Uh, I tried to play it off in front of Cody. Like, we... Uh, I think Blake Snyder even drove the one of the the Ford Explorers down there, and and I just I, I just nonchalantly just played it off like like we meant to do that, like that's what I meant to do, and I I, I eventually you know Cody came to me and said you know it it would have been a lot easier if you would have rented like passenger vans, and I'm like yeah yeah, and so I finally came clean to him. I said and I told him the story I just told you, and uh, you know he was he was he was very gracious. Uh, he said it wasn't a big deal. However, the little jokes that followed were definitely earned, right? Uh, they were definitely earned. But um, if COVID has taught me anything, it's taught me this, right? That in ministry, kids and youth ministry especially, you have to be ready for anything. Some, sometimes it's things that, that you forget, like in my case, right? Or it's changing something almost weekly to stay updated on everything that is going on around you whether it be to distancing or mask or no mask or, or shots or no shots. All this stuff is changing all the time, right? Uh, and I've learned from COVID that in these ministries, you have to be really good at making last-minute dis- like plans and decisions and somehow make it all work. Like just, just there it is, right? Almost, almost weekly. Uh, by the way, speaking of all that, speaking of, of the story, like um, I am so excited about the possibility of summer camp this year, like I'm, I'm pumped. Like it's going to be awesome, especially since we didn't get to have one last year. Like I'm looking forward to it even more this year, and I hope our students are too. Um, and yes, and yes, based on my last story, I've also gotten really good at the small details that I used to miss, like 12, right? Uh, 12 o'clock on Saturday before 12 o'clock, I'm picking up two 15 passenger vans, right? 
But unlike our human mistakes that we miss sometimes when it comes to planning, we're going to see a perfect example of how Jesus doesn't miss a single detail in this joyful celebration on Palm Sunday, right? So as we dive into this passage, uh, let me give you a little bit of a con- like just context of what's going on behind, like leading up to Palm Sunday. We see Jesus' journey that he has been on for the past nine months, landing him on the outskirts of Jerusalem for the Passover. He had gone through Galilee and Samaria, uh, Perry, uh, and, and finally Judea, Perea, sorry. Uh, he had ministered in at least 35 of these locations. Uh, and you can find all this starting out in chapter 9 of Luke. Uh, and this whole time that, he, that he's on this journey, he has this one goal on his mind, and that is to make it to Jerusalem. See, in all of these locations that Jesus was at, there, there was healing going on. He had just got done raising Lazarus from the dead. He, his fame uh, had spread throughout all of Jerusalem, they, they, were, they were going and seeing all that Jesus had done. Uh, they were visiting Lazarus, a man that was dead and now alive. His fame was spreading. But the religious leaders were counseling together as to how they might kill him. Because many, many were believing in him. See, Jesus was a problem. And the religious leaders needed him gone, Right? The Jews, however, this was another problem they had. The Jews, however, saw Jesus as the one who would restore God's kingdom. They were hoping that Jesus would be their king and deliver them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. See, Jesus knew what they thought, and he even tried to explain to them one more time here in Luke what that they should do while they were away, while he was away. But he also knew. He also knew that his life was about to be sacrificed for the very people that were trying to kill him. Which puts us here on verse 28. Let's read it again. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount of, that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, you, where, you uh, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. See, I told you uh, that story earlier about me missing a window, picking up uh, vans and, and having to call a friend to help, right? And so we come to this verse right here and we think, we think the same thing. We think the same thing, right? Jesus needed a ride. And at the last minute, he told his disciples to go down to Renadonkey. And, and pick him up one, you know, like, right? He, he wanted him to go down to Renadonkey and pick him up one. By the way, I wanted to use the KJV version here for donkey, um, but I wanted to keep my job, so I decided against it. Uh, for those of y'all that don't know that, you can look KJV version up, and there you go. Um, but that is not what happened here at all. That is not what happened here at all, right? This very scene has been in the works since the beginning of time. God has been setting everything up into motion for this event to take place the way that it did, this was all part of God's plan. But why the choice? Why the choice of a young donkey? Why, why, not, why not a beautiful Mustang or a giant Clydesdale? Like, why a cult? Why a cult, right? Because over 500 years earlier, Zechariah had prophesied that Messiah would come riding on the fowl of a donkey. 
Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a fowl of a donkey. See, I didn't know this, but as I was studying, in this time, in this time period of war and, and everything that, that was happening, when a king came in on a horse, it meant war. But when they wanted peace, when the king came in wanting peace, they rode in on a donkey. So Jesus, Jesus by this action was preparing to come to his people, offering peace by riding in on a donkey. And that's the first thing that I want you to see, is that Jesus came as a king who comes to his people in peace. Jesus is a king. Jesus is the king who is coming, who comes to his people in peace. We'll come back to that here in a minute, but I, I, I want to I put that out there. So let's, let's continue on in verse 32, and, and we'll, we'll tie all this back together, I promise, right? 32. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. See, we sometimes miss this, and I want to point this out, this, this verse right here. We sometimes miss this. 32. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. The colt was exactly where Jesus said it would be. The owner of the colt said exactly what Jesus said they would say. Everything was just how Jesus said it would be. And the reason for this was that not only did Jesus know the future, but because Jesus was in control of every small detail of that day. He was in, he was in control of every small detail of that day. Jesus orchestrated these events so that this cult on which no one had yet ever sat would be in just the right place at just the right time because he wasn't going to leave something as important as his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to chance. Not a single detail. And if he isn't going to leave, if he isn't going to leave any of this up to chance, that means that he isn't going to leave the events of your life up to chance either. He has authority over the events of your life. He has authority over the events of this past week. He has authority over the events that are going to happen today. Everything that you are going through right now or have gone through, whether it is sickness losing your job, getting a pay raise, the loss of a loved one, all these things are not unknown to him. Not a single one, not a single detail. Because if there needs to be a cult, a doctor, or just a friend in just the right place at just the right time, Jesus will ensure that it's there. Jesus will ensure that it's there, just like he did here. He both has and exercises absolute authority over all circumstances for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 
If you love Christ, if you are a Christ follower in here today, know that he has complete authority over everything that's going on. Even if you're not, he does. But for those that love him, he has all your circumstances for the good of those who love him. And I called it according to his purposes. That's the second thing I want you to see is that Jesus came as the king with authority over everything. Jesus came as the king with authority over everything. Today, church, I have to ask you a question. Do we, do we really see Jesus as having authority over our lives, over everything? Do we really see Jesus as having authority over everything? See, most of us don't even see Jesus as having authority over our possessions, let alone our lives. And it's evident in the way that we live our lives each and every day. Do you live as if God has authority over everything in your life? Do we follow the example of these disciples here and just obey Jesus, trusting that he knows best? Look at verse 30 again. Jesus said to go, and in 32 they went. I feel like I would have more questions to ask, right? Jesus, almost like a, a guess who game. I don't know if y'all ever, I know y'all played that growing up. Guess who game? Does the owners have bald hair? Are they bald? Do they have hair? Do they have a mustache? Goatee? That's, I feel like I would have more questions, but no, the disciples, <laughs> they were told to go and they went. The disciples went trusting that Jesus, what Jesus had told them. Do we serve him no matter what the difficulty is? No matter where he tells us to go? No matter how many strange looks or questions from our family and friends that we might get? Do we trust God with the authority of our lives? You see, we recently had a, a student serve day where we had planned on going uh, out to local businesses and giving them a present and just praying over them. Simple as that. Just as simple as that. For the ones that showed up, I was, so, I was so proud of them. I really was. I, they did a fantastic job. They did an awesome job. They were praying for local businesses around our area and, and, and really uh, did a, 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 an awesome job. They really did. But we didn't have a lot show up. We really didn't have a lot show up because I found out later that, that most felt uncomfortable when it came to praying for others. They said they would rather do physical work than pray. That was one of the... the that was, was quoted by one of our students. They, would, they said they would rather do physical work than pray. I get it. I get it. I, I mean, I, I was a teenager once. I, I, I understand all this. I understand. Teenagers especially are really self-conscious about what others think about them, and, and I get that. I really do. But that shouldn't stop us as Christians from doing what the Bible commands of us. It shouldn't. We are to pray for the lost and the hurting. Parents, do your children know how to pray? Do your children know how to pray? Encourage them. Better yet, give them an example to follow in the way that you pray each and every day. See, prayer shouldn't be foreign to Christians. The way we start and end our day will reflect whether or not we believe that God has authority over it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that our first and last words should belong to God. Our first and last words should belong to God. That, 
I, I read that here uh, recently in Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it's really changed every, I, it's changed the way I view my mornings and nights. It really has. Like, it, it, it's, it's mind-blowing to me, like, the things that I've missed and my first offerings to God and my, my last offerings to God each and every day of my life. Like, I, I'll confess my first offerings to God when I wake up in the morning are not the best. My last offerings to God when I go to sleep at night have not been the best. I've changed. And just in that, that sentence, that our first and last words should belong to God. Let me encourage you this morning, church, to do that same thing. But do we live as our words, our actions, the way we spend our weekends belong to God? Do you live as if Jesus has authority over your life? I hope that you do, and I pray that you will give Jesus your utmost obedience and carry out his commands promptly, completely, and unquestionably. See, church, we can't, we can't try and convince ourselves that, that, that our way will work better than the simple instructions of the Bible. Trust me. And for those of y'all that, that have lived longer than I have, I know you, you know this better than I do. God's ways are always the best ways, not the better way, but the best ways, even when they seem difficult or restricting. What area of obedience are you struggling with right now? God has told you what to do. You know what to do. You know what you ought to do, but you are struggling to do it. This morning, church, you will either rest in Jesus' authority by going where he sends you, or you will carry on in your own and miss what God has for your life. You'll miss it. I pray that you will rest in Jesus' authority this morning because his ways and his plans for our lives are far greater than our own. Let's continue on verse 33. And they, as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? 34, and they said, the Lord has need of it. See, I look at this passage and I'm automatically taken to uh, my, my nerd self. And for those of y'all that know me, know exactly where I'm going with this. I almost like it's some kind of Jedi mind trick, like the Lord has need of it. These are not the doors you're looking for. Anybody with me? If Crystal's here. Yeah, hey, there he is. He's with me. The Lord has need of it. Like, but that's not what happened, right? And when does something like this ever really work? Like, Phil, if I go to Phil right now and say, hey, Phil, can I borrow your truck? <laughs> Why are you getting in my truck, John? The Lord has need of it. I'm almost certain Phil would have more questions for me. Right? I know he would. I don't know about that. I just got it deleted. I, I, I just no, we ain't gonna we ain't gonna do that, right? And, and we see here the owners, right? The Lord has need of it. Owners say, "Okay, sounds good." There you go. It's yours. Nothing that doesn't work, but it did here. The scriptures are unclear here why they just let them have it, but maybe, just maybe, because God is in control of every little detail. The Lord, uh, that maybe they were expecting the Lord, just as Zechariah prophesied. <laughs> Every little detail here, right? Yet again, we see God in control of every little detail. Moving on to verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. 
As he was drawing near, already on the way down Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen. 38, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The other Gospels here uh, add to Luke's picture and account of, of Palm Sunday. John 12, 13 tells us that they took branches of palm trees and actually went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. See, only a king, only a king would be greeted this way. Only a king. 2 Kings 9, 13. And the people wanted Jesus to be their king. They did. Jesus was without a doubt identifying himself as the Messiah with everything that was taking place in this scene. Everything. But see, most of the people still did not understand what kind of king and savior Jesus would be, though. See, the, the, the people viewed Jesus as their deliverer, and he was. But not in the way that they thought. They expected their Messiah to be a great political or, or and military leader who would free them from the Roman Empire. They wanted that. They wanted that. They were even saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally meant, as we sang that this morning, save or save us. They wanted Jesus to save them, but in their way. They thought that he was going to be the king that would deliver them. And he was. But not in the way that they wanted. Not in the way that they wanted. And that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like us. See, we cry out to God, deliver us from the things that, that seem to have a hold on our lives. And yet we run back to them when things get hard. That relationship that only wants what we, we, that we can give them, Right? Your phone that you feel like no one will ever see what you look, look at. The drugs that seem to take the edge off of a difficult day. See, you've begged God to save you from these things only to turn back to them when times get difficult to say no. And Jesus still comes to you. Listen to me, church. And Jesus still comes to you, even though you, we, 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 we fail, right? Jesus still comes to you in peace and love, asking you to cast your burden on him. Cast your burdens on him. Let me explain why, right? You see, the donkey Jesus rode prophesied of his position as king and his character as servant, a burden bearer. Cast your burdens on him and allow him to ease your heavy load and find rest and peace in him. All this, all this was, was taking place right here. Because Jesus brings with him peace. He brings with him peace. This was his moment. A moment that, would, that was set before the foundation of the world. Here he was riding in on a donkey as the king who comes offering peace. And Jesus was in control of everything. Not a single detail was left out. He was making a statement every, with everything that he did. Never before had Jesus done anything to promote a public demonstration. Never. In fact, he had repeatedly withdrawn uh, from the crowds if there was ever a hint of such a thing. 
And yet, by this time, all this was going on, there was a price on Jesus' head. See, it would have been natural for him to, 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 to tuck himself away, to hide, hide himself, to slip into Jerusalem, right, and not bring all this attention with him. But no, he came in such a way that he was front and center stage and all eyes were on him. All eyes were on him. He invited attention. He invited attention, even though that meant courting danger. Jesus knew what was about to take place in his life, and he willingly went into Jerusalem, and by doing so, fulfilled a prophecy that was 550 years prior to Jesus' coming. That's what he did. And so... So you have people, let me just yet again go back to the scene. And so you have these people who are worshiping their king, who, are, who have come out uh, bringing palm branches, singing Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, he's riding in on a donkey, fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy. And then, and then you have all these Karens over here trying to shut it down, right? Shut it down. And Jesus wasn't having a single bit of it. Not a single thing. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees, Karen's, in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They wanted Jesus to shut it down. They believed that the crowd had gone too far. This is it. This is, they have gone too far. They disliked the fact that Jesus was being praised like this. They wanted to shut it down. They wanted it gone. They wanted it to go away, right? But see, I can almost imagine him yelling back, at the Pharisees in verse 40, the crowd had to be loud, right? There had to be a lot of noise going on around them. I mean, they were praising Jesus, right? They were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All this was going on, and so I can imagine Jesus almost yelling verse 40 back out to them. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That's the third thing I want you to see right here. Jesus is a king worthy to be praised. Let me tell you why. When we focus on this passage, when we focus on this passage, Jesus' march into Jerusalem, a march that would seal his fate on a cross as the atonement for our sin, our hearts should praise him. It should. And yet some of us find it hard to praise him in our worship on Sunday morning, myself included. You know why? And I'm, I'm upset even as I share this. Because I'm so worried about everything. I'm so worried about everything. I, I, I'm behind the scenes a lot on Sunday, running around, making sure everything is working as it should. You know, working on media, working on check-in stations, making sure the volunteers are good, all this stuff. These thoughts constantly in my head of, do we have enough volunteers for nursery, preschool, and kids? Not sure if you heard or not, but we need more volunteers in preschool and in our kids' area. I'm just going to put that plug in there. Everyone loves babies, so nursery is pretty much taken. You can't have nursery anymore, uh, right? But I have these other thoughts in my, in my head of, uh, of uh, is everyone taken care of? And, and what can I do to help our volunteers make it a really good day for our guests here on Sunday morning? See, this is my job, yes. This is my job, yes. But when I come in here, when I come in here and I stand right there or stand wherever I'm at, my mind is not focused on God. 
but more things than I need to do in the coming week. Even this morning, I was outside lowering basketball goals, getting wet. Yet again, I know that's not my job, but I serve in, in whatever I can serve in. I want to protect our facilities and, and the things that we do, and, and for some reason I let those things get ahead of my worship to God. And I sit down and I'm unable to worship because I'm so focused on other things when my focus should be on God. My mind, my soul, my words should be centered on Christ. Are you with me, church? I mean, God has saved us, right? He has delivered us from things of our past. God has saved some of us from addiction and the sin in your life. God has given you hope, a future, a purpose that you didn't have before Christ. The result of what God has done should bring forth in us worship. Not just worship here at church, but worship in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, and in front of our friends and family. Every bit of it. If we can't get excited about, about Him in here, if we can't get excited about God in here, then it's going to be impossible for us to be excited and praise Him out there. Impossible. And if Christians... Don't cry out in worship. Verse 40 says that the rocks will cry out in our place. There was a song I was reminded of that mom and I used to, to jam out to on the way to church when I was younger. Mama with her shoulder pads on, curling her eyelashes with one hand and praising Jesus with the other while driving with her knees um, down the road. <laughs> I told her last night, I, I, wanted, I got permission before I said this one. Um, but the song went like this. Ain't gonna let no rock cry in my place. Ain't gonna let it sing in my place. Oh, ain't gonna let no rock outpraise me. Ain't gonna let it sing in my place. And we would sing that over and over. I mean, this is a Pentecostal song, so it was it repeated it several times. You know what I'm saying? But we sang that. My, my, my family was even jamming out to this, this song uh, Friday night. I, I still love it. Might, might even share it later today. Uh, on, on Facebook. I mean, Sissy, by the way, Friday was jamming. I mean, she was, she was praising the Lord. I, I, it, it was awesome. It was awesome to see my kids worshiping like that on uh, the other night. So mamas, daddies, grandparents, you're not out of this. Teach your kids to praise Jesus. Teach them to love his word every chance you get. Do it right now. I challenge you to worship with your family, whether it is a Bible study at your home or jamming out to whatever Christian music you listen to. Right? If you haven't done this, start today. There's time. There's still time. If you haven't done this, start today. Be a Christ follower that un unapologetically praises Jesus in your everyday life, saying that that nature will not take my place in worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Either way, God will get the praise that he is due. Right? If we've learned anything from the scripture, either way, God will get the praise that he is due. And, 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 and you can worship him now here on earth or wait until it's too late before the throne of God. Because this morning, there's a passage that I'm reminded of in Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says that, so at, that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The last thing I want you to see here is 
Jesus is a king that will be praised. Jesus is a king that will be praised. At some point in your life, you will bow your knee to Jesus Christ. You will bow your knee willingly here on the earth, or you will bow your knee unwillingly before the judgment seat of God. I pray, I pray, I pray that you receive Christ now and worship him now, for he is worthy of our praise. As we wrap this up, I always give my students almost like a synopsis of our sermon. I always leave them two things to, to, to reflect on. And so I want to give you that right now. I want you to know that God is not a God of disorder and chaos. Nothing surprises him. But God is a God of order and peace. The things that you are going through right now in your life are not unknown to him. The sins that you are struggling with, the pain that you deal with every day, the loneliness that you go through from time to time are not unknown to God. They're not. He is not some last-minute God or a God that doesn't care about your life. If God planned for his son to enter Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey, only to, to be put to death a few days later and be raised on the third day in order to defeat sin, death, and the grave. And all of this was planned before the creation of the world. That means you and I can have peace in knowing that God has a plan for everything that is going on around us. Everything. This life that we sometimes call chaos is not chaos at all, but a life that is orchestrated by God himself. Nothing surprises him. He does not leave a single detail out in our lives. This morning, I want you to know that Jesus came so that you and I might have peace. Do you have peace this morning? I can, it can only be found in Jesus, and we will not have true peace until Christ becomes our peace. Listen to me, church. Even though, even though we are sinners, even though we fall short each and every day, Jesus still comes to us and offers us peace with God. When we place our faith in Christ, he gives us peace with God that passes all understanding. He does not come to you as a king on a horse ready for war. He will one day, but not today. He comes to you on a donkey and offers you peace and rest as he carries your burdens. Will you accept this invitation to have peace with God this morning? Will you trust him with your life, saying that I may not know what you have planned for my life, but I will trust you and I will go where you send me, God? Because I know, because your word says that all things work together for the good of those who love you. Will you say yes to God and call this, and, and call this morning, God's, accept God's call this morning? For the believers in here this morning, are you worshiping God? Are you worshiping God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and as the perfect planner of your life? Does your life reflect the peace that Jesus offers? The peace, the peace that Jesus offers you and how you treat others? And how you worship God each and every day.
Does your worship bring glory and honor to Christ? Because if it doesn't, because if it doesn't, the rocks might just take your place. Let's pray this morning. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon. 